The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Mark. Glory to you, Lord Christ. And immediately Jesus left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Well, I speak to you in the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. So this morning's gospel passage, once again, it picks up right where we left off last week in Mark. In fact, it picks up on that very same day. You'll recall that last week we saw Jesus take his four new disciples with him into the town of Capernaum, where they entered the synagogue on the Sabbath. And there, his prophetic preaching provoked strong responses from everyone, which we observed were not all entirely positive. In particular, an unclean spirit or demon manifested in one man who wanted nothing to do with the Son of God's presence or words. Well, in today's passage, Mark continues on to describe what happened on the remainder of that Sabbath day. We're told that after Jesus left the synagogue, he and his four disciples went immediately to the house of two of them, the brothers Simon and Andrew, where Simon's mother-in-law happened to lay ill with fever. We can infer from this that Simon's father-in-law was no longer living and that his mother-in-law was living with he and his wife. It's also important to understand that in those days, fever was thought to be a sickness unto itself, as opposed to a symptom of some other illness. So we can't know for sure what illness this woman actually had. But the Lord, in his concern for her, goes to the home, or goes into the room, or finds her wherever they lead him to her, where he proceeds to take the unnamed woman by the hand and lift her up which causes the fever to leave her. And her healing is evidenced by her then proceeding to serve Jesus and the others, which probably means that she prepared a meal for them. Well, again, word spreads fast. 
that this Jesus not only has power over demons, but also over disease. Because that evening at sundown, people brought him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. They wait until evening because that's when the Sabbath ended. You remember Jewish days ended at sundown. And people would have been careful not to uh, pursue healing or to carry people any distance on the Sabbath unless one's life was in immediate peril. So that's why they wait till nightfall. But Mark says after nightfall, practically the whole city was gathered at the door of Simon and Andrew's home, which is surely hyperbole, since Capernaum had a population of about 15,000 at the time. But needless to say, this was a lot of people, and they gathered at the door. And Jesus proceeded to heal many who were sick and to cast out demons. Then the next morning, Jesus went out to pray. Now, this area of Capernaum, Galilee, was actually very densely populated. And people would typically go out to begin work at sunrise. So Jesus had to be pretty intentional to carve out an opportunity to commune with his heavenly Father alone. But with a new morning came then new demands. As Jesus' disciples soon find him and explain that, quote, everyone is looking for you, Jesus. And yet, unexpectedly, Jesus calls them to follow him instead to another town so he can preach in other places as well. So in just 11 verses, Mark has detailed a 24-hour period that has surely been action-packed. And he leaves us with plenty that we could examine and consider But what I'd like to focus on is the first paragraph of our gospel passage today, where Jesus heals Simon's mother-in-law from fever. Of course, we know that none of Jesus' miracles described by the gospel writers were ever understood or meant to, to merely be an end in themselves, just to heal that one individual. Rather, they were meant to teach us about the kingdom. John's gospel helps us understand that. And this miracle was no exception. The Greek text of verse 31 literally says that Jesus raises her up and uses the exact same phrase found in New Testament texts written by Paul before Mark to describe Jesus' resurrection from the dead. And of course, in in a letter of Paul, Colossians, Paul also describes our own salvation as having been, quote, raised with him, raised with Christ. That through our faith in Christ, we have been raised to a new way of eternal living in him. And so Jesus' healing of Simon's mother-in-law from sickness, perhaps even a near-death condition, it's meant to point forward to the eternal life he intends to bring to all of us through faith in his name. Well, in light of this, it's caused many through the years to notice how Mark says that the woman responded. He says that after her fever left her, she began to serve them. Now, as we said earlier, this probably just means she served them a meal, was hospitable to their needs. 
But the Greek word here for serve is not an insignificant one. It is the word diakonoi, which means to serve or minister to, to take care of one's needs. And this is the same word that Mark used earlier in the chapter when Jesus was being tempted in the wilderness. And he says the angels ministered to Jesus, diakonoi to Jesus. And it will next appear in Mark when Jesus explains that he came not to be served, but to serve, to, to sacrifice of himself, lay down his life for many. Furthermore, this word, diakonoi, will ultimately be where we get the word for the office of deacons who were first set apart for special service in the book of Acts. But the broader truth that verse 31 points to for all of us is that we were saved to serve. We were saved to serve. Jesus laid down his life, bought us with a price, made us his own, raised us to new life, not as an end in itself, but that we might then serve him in love of God and neighbor. As Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians, Christ died for us that we who are made alive in him should no longer live for ourselves like the world does, but that we should live for him who died for us and was raised again. And what verse 31 of Mark suddenly warns against is that all too prevalent idea today that, that sa the salvation Jesus offers is merely the forgiveness of sins and that's kind of it. Like some credit put in our spiritual bank account that will get us into heaven. This passage also warns us against approaching God solely for what we get from Him. In fact, this may have been the mindset of many among the throngs who sought healing or deliverance from Jesus that evening and the next morning. See, miracle workers were actually not all that uncommon in those days. And if the bulk of these people were misunderstanding Jesus in this way, that he was primarily there to do miracles, to do healings, right? seeing Jesus as just a meter of their needs, it may explain why he decided then to move along to another town. Because they just weren't getting it. The Lord does want us to look to him to care for our needs, absolutely. But he wants to meet our needs so that we can then be freed up to not seek for those needs to be met in everybody around us. We can be freed up to care for others. But if this goal I'm suggesting is the goal of our salvation, that we are saved to serve, if that feels like a bit of a catch kind of on the back end of accepting a relationship with Jesus, we must hear and believe the rest of the good news that serving the Lord and serving others is actually what God created us to do. It is our God-given purpose. And because of that, we will find 
that if we seek to serve the Lord in the Lord, right, out of love for him and, and healthy motives, you might say, that there, we will find there is nothing more satisfying. And I'm speaking very broadly of serving, right? This could be something you're doing at your church, something in the community. This could be loving those in your household, serving them. But as St. Augustine once wrote in a, in a prayer, he said, Lord, help us to know, help us to know you that we may truly love you. So to love you, we may fully serve you, whose service is perfect freedom. Augustine says that serving God is perfect freedom. And so this passage calls us to consider whether we've responded to coming into relationship with God in this way. You know, part of the reason there are a lot of folks who find being a Christian to frankly be sort of burdensome, even joyless, I think one of the primary causes is because they've, they've often missed that spiritual paradox that in order to keep something, we have to be willing to give it away. That in order to continue experiencing God's love, we have to be intentional to love others. And so we must be sure that we begin to see ourselves not as receptacles of God's love, as merely receivers that just collect and, and, and receive only, but to see ourselves as vessels. That's the language that's used in Scripture. That it's really referring to, if you think of like a carafe, on the tables at a feast, carafe of wine, let's say. Right? They're filled up with wine in order to be pulled out, poured out, right? To create the feast. Well, likewise, we are meant to be filled up with God's love, to be sure. But then so we may be poured out and filled up and poured out and filled up and poured out. But we do need to be filled up, don't we? in order to have anything to give? You know, for plenty of us, there is no shortage of things that need to be done for others. As a parent of young children, for example, there are responsibilities that simply cannot be shirked if Amanda and I want our kids to survive, you know, to keep living. And yet... And, and so many here in the parish are caring for, for different people in different situations, whether it's parenting or some other situation. I think this is where the order, ordinariness of how this woman serves becomes significant. In other words, while it's extraordinary that she could go from one minute being practically maybe on her deathbed to in the next minute cooking a meal... The task itself of cooking a meal is rather ordinary, perhaps even expected for a woman in that culture. Well, for many, some of the primary ways you serve are in ways that you are not likely to receive recognition. This can make the burden of doing it day in and day out it can become such a grind, right? In time, it can even become joyless. 
And so if that is our situation, the healing of Simon's mother-in-law reminds us of our need to rely on the Lord through those circumstances, to receive from him first in order to be able to do the things that we have no choice in whether we do them or not, but in order to be able to do them from a heart of gratitude and love instead of a heart that's running on empty. However, many, many of us in this parish, many are in life stages or situations where there is space to serve beyond the home. There are many who have gifts that are best exercised as a blessing to the church body or to the community around. Last Sunday at our annual meeting, we had representatives of many ministries in the church but these are many, many of them are ministries that may or may not be seen up here on Sundays or noticed by many people. They just happen in the background as far as many are concerned and yet are indispensable, right? Indeed, are equally as important as the more visible roles of service. When Paul uses the analogy of a human body to represent the church in 1 Corinthians he writes this chapter 12, he says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. He says, on the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are actually indispensable. And parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. Serving the Lord, though, is also where grandiosity can really be detrimental. Think back to the passage for a minute about how, how bewildered those disciples must have been that next morning. When the crowds are clamoring after Jesus, right, and Jesus seems like completely unaffected, perhaps, perhaps you might say disinterested, just think about the past 24 hours for those four first disciples, right? You got the demon in the synagogue, followed by the miraculous healing of Simon's mother-in-law, followed by the whole town showing up and Jesus working wonder after wonder. And this is, at the most, just days after they decided to leave their whole way of life to become Jesus' followers. I mean, their life has changed a few times over in the past week. So it's understandable. I think we can be compassionate toward these disciples that they might have begun to feel, first of all, pretty special, right? Like pretty hot stuff to kind of be in the inner circle, this wonder worker. We can also understand how they might have assumed that they sort of needed to begin acting as Jesus' publicity managers. Right? And how tempting it would have been to, to define numbers and wonders as success. But I believe Jesus' reaction to them cautions them and us against seeking after such things, against defining success in those ways. He reminds them that he came to, to preach the kingdom, to announce that the kingdom 
is here, is near, that is, is received through repentance. You'll remember that that message was much less popular than working wonders for people. Now, granted, the final verse of our passage does reveal that Jesus did end up doing further miracles in other towns. But it's clear as Jesus leads them in a different direction that his focus is on doing the will of the Father and remaining focused on the kingdom, not on signs and wonders. And this must remain our goal in service as well. If wonders or numbers occur, so be it. But that's up to God, not us. And it's not necessarily any indicator of spiritual success. Again, there's a, a, a really valid argument that all these people clamoring after Jesus the next morning didn't understand him at all. Didn't know what he was about at all. Frankly, wanted to use him. But I want to say this to us because I think many of us can misread Scripture and, and misread the call to serve, the invitation to join in the work of the kingdom. Maybe we've been taught to misread it and, and therefore feel a heavy pressure to perform or to produce that can quickly become a heavy burden. It's certainly a heavy burden if we feel like we've got to manufacture numbers or wonders or both but if we're operating like that and we feel that burden this may be a sign that we're trying to have our emotional needs met through serving God rather than having those needs met through God right rather than finding our value in Christ and then being freed up to lay down our ego not operate in our ego Whatever the motivation, I don't believe that kind of pressure that so many of us feel when we talk about ministry and talk about serving and talk about calling. I don't believe that pressure is from the Lord. Jesus said, come to me all who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So as I near the close, I would just say that I would imagine there's a unique way for each one of us to respond to this gospel passage this morning. For some of us who might have missed that we've been saved to serve, and for whom life, even the Christian life, has become pretty joyless, would you ask the Lord to remind you of the gifts or talents he has bestowed? Or ask him to show, you, show them to you, develop them in you if you're not aware of them. Tell him you are willing to be used for his glory. And not our glory, his glory. Even make a, an appointment, come talk to me about it. We'll get our mask on it. For others, you may be working your tail off. And maybe you're working your tail off in ways that perhaps you don't feel like you even have much choice in. I want you to know that the Lord sees that. The Lord sees all that you do, all that you sacrifice. But I want you to be reminded of the value of being intentional to receive regularly from him. 
because that's likely to help you do whatever is on your plate with much greater patience, much greater efficiency, and of course, much greater love. You know, that command to love our neighbor as ourselves, within that command, it, it presumes, it assumes we are loving ourselves, right? I know that that scripture gets twisted around and even the suggestion of loving ourselves could sound idolatrous in some Christian circles that, that think it's about living for ourselves. But we gotta have some nuance here, right? It's about caring for myself Treating myself as worth, having worth and dignity before God. Caring for myself, connecting with him, that I have a thing to give to other people. Some of us lo do love our neighbors ourselves, and it's pretty awful because we don't love ourselves. Right? We don't think we're worthy of it or whatever. We've been told we aren't. I'll call that a lie. So we have to prioritize our own spiritual self-care to have anything worth giving away. And finally, for those who might feel convicted that perhaps some ego's gotten wrapped up in the way that you serve, first of all, I want to say that I get it, right? I mean, when you are the one up here, the temptations to be motivated by ego are pretty much a constant, right? And I'm not immune from them. But I can also tell you that when I'm going down that path, that's when I get the most exhausted. It is the Lord's job to save. And the results that come from our service are entirely the Lord's prerogative. Our focus is best left to welcoming his kingdom reign in our own lives, following his lead, and being willing to share those blessings with others wherever we have the opportunity. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.